Well, this is Ed Stetzer Live, and this and every Saturday we have really some super conversations, and we engage in the questions of the day. Uh, it's interesting. Sometimes we head a theological direction, sometimes we had a cultural direction, and I always enjoy the diversity of conversations that we do have. And uh, today, I think we're going to have a good conversation in and around a, a relatively new friend of mine, and he has written a new book. You might notice that we often have people on when they write a new book. They've got new, fresh ideas. Sometimes, sometimes people said to me, well, actually, recently somebody said to me, why do you always have people when they have a new book? Well, first, that's not always true. We, we, we have people all the time who don't have a new book. But people who have just written something really spent the time having, I'm actually finishing my book, so I may sound a little bit like, like I'm advocating for this. But people have spent the time to really think through some ideas. Uh, they really help us to think in new, sometimes fresh ways, challenging ways. Uh, and more. So today, our guest has done that very thing. And it's actually a book by, by our friends at, at Moody Publishing. And the name of the book, by the way, is Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel. And we're going to have a few copies of it to give away to brilliant and insightful callers. It's not just like a call in to get a book, but brilliant and insightful callers. Uh, so Ben Connolly is our guest. He's a pastor, author, equipper, and occasional professor. Uh, he has written and contributed to several publications and has recently written the book, again, Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel. He oversees church planning efforts for multiple organizations and has taught university and seminary classes. Ben, thanks for joining us on the program. Ed, I'm honored to be on this morning. Thank you. Good deal. Well, glad you're here. So to, all right, first, there, there's a funny story why I said that, you know, I would, just before we came off on, onto the program, we were offline, I mentioned that I owe Ben a favor uh, and because we're having some technological challenges. But but uh, Ben leads a church planting organization that uh, that I'm going to be uh, speaking at. We had to move the date. So that's the, he was very gracious when he didn't have to be, and I appreciate that. So Ben, what is that church planting organization right now? in front of uh, over 200 outlets across the country. We're all going to be flocking to Fort Worth. No, not, probably not going to have hundreds of people show up just from the radio program. But what is this organization that you're leading? Yeah, so I get to lead a local collaboration of multi-denominational, multi-network churches in and around Fort Worth uh, called Plant Fort Worth. And we believe that clear is kind, so the name kind of uh, indicates what we're all about. Uh, we very simply want to see churches planted in Fort Worth and also from Fort Worth. You recognize that, that we have more theological education available in uh, DFW area, Dallas-Fort Worth, than a lot of areas. And so we want to focus on planting for Fort Worth, one of the fastest-growing cities, lots of migration patterns, uh, both nationally and internationally, changing the face of our city. But also we want to raise up uh, church planters and ministers and send them beyond Fort Worth as well. So around the country, around the world, as God opens doors for such a thing. So that's Plant Fort Worth. Yeah, and Fort Worth's always been like sort of the redheaded stepchild. Now I can say that because I literally was the redheaded stepchild. Um, the um, so so you got Dallas Fort Worth, and people even say DFW Airport. But everyone like I mean, there's no TV show called Fort Worth. There was a TV show called Dallas. So. What's like? What's all about Fort Worth? That's not about Dallas. It's first of all, it's a lot, it's a lot bigger than people think as well. But tell us about Fort Worth. Yeah, I mean, Fort Worth is it's fantastic. It's the best city in Texas. Um, we do have a chip on our shoulder against Dallas, and Dallas doesn't know we exist as a broad, you know, <laughs> half-joking stereotype, um, like the younger sibling, right? Um, but man, it is uh, it, it is a, a, a increasingly multicultural, uh, increasingly cultural as well. Hub, and it is uh, in some ways, in fact, uh, several publications, national and statewide, have, have said the kind of where, where Austin saw the boom, you know, a decade ago, keep Austin weird and all this kind of stuff. 
uh, Fort Worth is now kind of the the new up and coming place. So again, I'm biased in that? saying that. So anyone who hears no, you certainly you certainly are. But that's what I love about you. Uh, you know, pastors <laughs> should love the cities to where God has placed them, and help the people in our churches love the cities to where God has placed them. So for for uh, and again, I think the opportunity is great uh, both there with those theological institutions. One of the things we find is some of the great church planting churches. Uh, I think of summit churches. You know, uh, real focus on being the in their denomination. They're the they're the and this is Raleigh Durham area for those who don't know as the uh, largest church planting, largest mission sending church. Well, you know, they're right by a seminary. And I think you have right. several yeah. schools and several seminaries, and we're having just moved to uh, to California. I'm actually in California right now. Uh, I'm in Southern California with Biola and Talbot. I'm excited about partnering with churches to raise up church planners, church planning residencies, and more. But that is not the main purpose of our conversation today. Uh, what are, what's the date of that? We're coming there. Is it November 9th? We're, we're having this conference? It is November 9th. Yes, it is. And it's just churchplantingconference.com if anybody wants more info. Dr. Stetzer and Mason, several breakouts in progress of planning, but would love for everyone to come consider planting a church or sending out uh, church planters, or maybe God has a call in your life that you don't even know about. We'll explore that on November 9th. Come on, and we get to hang out if you come. So if you come, uh, it's November 9th, somewhere in Fort Worth. I'm sure it's in Fort Worth. If it's not in Fort Worth, you're doing it wrong. All right, let's let's talk about your book. The book is Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel. And, you know, it is always interesting, you know, um, when books like this come out, uh, I get nervous. And one of the reasons I get nervous, and that's a terrible beginning to the interview, but don't, don't, don't be nervous, Ben. But I get nervous because these books come out, and, like, there's a whole thing you've been missing the whole time. There's a, there's a secret number code in the Bible. There's, there's this doctrine that nobody has discovered in 2,000 years. And I would just say to our listeners, uh, in general, if it's new, it's probably not true because people have been reading the Bible for 2,000 years. But you actually make a really challenging case, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, you talked about uh, the importance of reading the Bible. You talked about but how religious people sometimes read the Bible wrongly. So our audience, I don't know that everyone in our audience would call themselves religious people, but I mean, if you're listening to Christian radio on Saturday morning, you probably have some, or, you know, by the podcast, you probably have some, you know, connection to the faith and interest in it. So, but you make the case that um, religious people read the Bible through the wrong lens. Unpack that for us. Yeah, and, and I'll start by saying I couldn't agree with you more. If it's new, it's probably not true. Um, and the problem is, is we just had a lot of new over the decades and centuries. Um, and so we're kind of swimming in this water that we don't recognize as being new or different. But, but, but perhaps could it be that the water we're swimming in is not the original intent of, of some of God's intention of Scripture? And so my hope is that it actually reclaims this very old, very ancient, and very true message uh, in the book about, about reading the Bible correctly. And, and I think I get to stand on some strong shoulders because the kind of key, keystone verse for the entire book comes straight from the mouths of our Lord Jesus uh, when he's talking to some religious leaders in John chapter 5. And he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in the scriptures you have eternal life. But the scriptures bear witness about me, but you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And, and so the whole claim, and this is what Jesus is saying, this is what I'm trying to, trying to muse about at least and invite readers to muse about in the book, is going as good and right and blessed and all the good things about reading the Bible. And to be clear, I'm a huge fan, huge proponent of, of reading and engaging with the scriptures. Just want to make that clear. But for all the good of that, do we actually put the Bible in a place that only Jesus belongs? Um, do we look to the Bible to be our Savior, whether it's uh, giving us more knowledge? And so by my knowledge of the Bible, 
I can know more and thus be holier, or here's all the rules that the Bible gives me. And so if I just follow the rules, then I can be right before God and this kind of stuff. And essentially, do we look at the Bible as our Savior and, and miss the point that the religious leaders in Jesus' day missed, that the Bible actually is just a windshield looking to a far better view beyond, which is our triune God, who alone is the Savior, who alone is the giver of life. You know, it's interesting, historically, um, that if you go back, gosh, over, over the last century, but different decades, that um, similar things have been said from people who really wanted to say that you don't have to believe the Bible, right? They, they would say, listen, the Bible, the Bible, you're too focused on the rules, you're too focused on on the you know, minutia of the Bible, the Bible's just pointing to Jesus, and uh, and, and they, they kind of used it to, to de-emphasize and devalue the Scriptures. Um, you seem to be taking a whole different approach. You're, you're, you're encouraging us to start and end with God rather than with people, um, to see Jesus as, as who he is. So distinguish a little bit between, because again, I think, I think we would all agree that, that there, I have a concern that people sort of treat the Bible as God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Bible and, That's and, right. uh, Bible-olatry, putting the Bible at a place it wasn't intended to be. Yet we believe the Bible is inerrant. We believe the Bible contain, uh, uh, you know, points us to the the true uh, the truths of the whole universe. Uh, we so 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 how do we balance those two things out? Because sometimes people just want to read the Bible and follow its rules. Yeah, yeah, and I think and, and that's the danger in it though. Like essentially the 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 wrong lens, if I can use that language and optometry language, is laced throughout the book because I'm a huge nerd and that's how I chose to write it. Um, but the, the, if we think of the lenses through which we read the Bible, the wrong lenses are one that make it all about me. Um, again, if I, if I go to the scriptures exclusively so I can know more about God, um, then a lot of times people wrongly, it's Gnosticism, right? That's, that's basing our, not, our, our holiness on our knowledge and our ability to figure things out and dissect and and we kind of stay removed from the things that we're studying, like any ology does, biology or this kind of stuff. Um, but we make the Bible about my knowledge, or, or maybe we make it about how, how I feel today. We, we go to the Bible seeking com- some catharsis or some, if I can just get this verse to get me through the day or this kind of stuff. It's about my emotions and how I feel, or, or again, my ability to follow the rules. And, and, and the key phrase that I'm intentionally overemphasizing here is that we make the Bible about me about my knowledge, my ability, my rules, my emotions, my uh, history, my whatever. Um, and the whole point of Christianity is, is it's not about me. Um, the whole point about Christianity is I can't know everything there is to know. I can't feel like I want to feel all the time. I can't follow all the rules, even if they're all listed before me. I can't, but God does, and God did, and God can. And so the right way to read the Bible, the right lens that I'm trying to propose and suggest is that we go to the scriptures, yes, finding the rules and finding the knowledge and this kind of stuff, but also doing so in a way that, and I think you said this already, Ed, that sees the Bible first and foremost as God's story and sees it about him and what he's been doing and is doing and will continue to do from Genesis to Revelation, past, present, and future. And if we reframe the the scriptures as God's story with God as the main character— then we kind of have a right posture to find ourselves, to find humans in, in the scriptures. And it's a lot of comparing ourselves to God and, frankly, even the best human characters in the Bible. Even if they're great, they're still finite, 
they're still going to die. They still sin. They're still broken. And so it leads us to see Jesus as the hero of every verse and story and, and command, um, in part because we need him to be the hero. Uh, we need him to be the redeemer. We need him to be the one who is infinite and who is not broken and who is not sinful because every human in the scriptures and in history other than him is finite and broken and sinful. So good. So good. We're going to continue our conversation with Ben Connolly in just a moment. Also going to take your calls. Maybe you have questions about how we might engage the Bible well. Maybe you've got questions about how he's talking about seeing all uh, the bigger story of what going, oh, what's going on in the Bible. Our number is, uh, is 877-BEN. I almost just gave your phone number to everybody. But our number to call here is 877-548-3675. Again, it's 877 877- 548-3675. You're listening to Ed Stetzer Live. Our guest today is Ben Connolly with his new book, Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel. Hey, we're back at Stetzer Live. This Every Saturday at this time, you can listen live on over 200 outlets across the country. Um, but... Uh, you are listening, obviously, um, but you also might want to listen to this at other times. We have great content like our conversation right now with Ben Connolly about his book, Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel. Um, so if you want to do that, you can go to edstetzerlive.com. It's like a click or two once they're pretty obvious and subscribe. You go to the Moody Radio app. You can subscribe to the podcast. Lots of easy ways to do that. So then you can listen. And I found out this week because, you know, I have a I have this radio show as a podcast, and I have a podcast called the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. And someone was telling me, I didn't know this, so because um, I'm, I'm not much of a podcast listener, I have to confess. I listen to one or two, but uh, and I listen to every episode when I listen. A whole lot of people just skip the episodes. So if you like look and you look down on your, uh, on your phone and you say, you know, I really want to listen to Ben Connolly talk about reading the Bible, missing the gospel, you press play. But if not, you just go on to the next one. So it's kind of an easy way to listen if you want to download this um, as a podcast. So again, my name is Ed Stetzer. I'm your host. I am the executive director at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center for 27 more days. And then I am the new dean of the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. So matter of fact, today the Stetzers are looking for a house in Southern California. So you can pray for us because Southern California is uh, is a challenging place to find a house. But that being said, looking forward to continue to do this radio show just from a different coast. So it's 9 a.m. where I'll be doing this show from from now on, which is uh, which is nice, bright and early in the morning. All right, let's jump back in with our friend Ben Connolly. Uh, ben is pastor, author, equipper, and occasional professor. The book we're talking about is Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel. Uh, ben, I'm I'm kind of passionate about this. I really liked your book um, because I, I think I, I often encourage pastors, and this is for everybody, not for pastors. It's not a pastor book. But when I tell talk to pastors, and I say you really you really can't you shouldn't preach the Bible like the Book of Proverbs as if you were a um, a rabbi, now a Jewish rabbi. Now on most of these stations, what precedes the uh, the, the program is actually Michael Raldelnik, who's a professor of Jewish studies at Moody Bible Institute, does an amazing job. Not on all of them. We recognize different stations of partners. Um, and and he would talk about, you know, how we might teach and understand things through that lens. But we always ultimately want to bring people to the full revelation of the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah and that changes changes everything. So one of the things I like that you talked about in the book is there's kind of an unchristian way uh, to read the Bible, and then there's a Christian way to read the Bible. Would you explain the difference between those two? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, and and 
I mean, a lot of what you just said is, you know, landing with Jesus as the Messiah, as the one that we believe is is the promised one and is the Savior. Um, there's a way to read the Bible in a way that actually puts more pressure on readers because um, it leaves it up to us to figure it out. And so, you know, if you take, I don't know, Philippians 2, for example, it's a, a passage we walk through um, in the book, and there's a lot of ways to read Philippians 2. And if you don't know Philippians 2, it's this great, beautiful Christ hymn. It's, you know, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's in the form of God, didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped, but he emptied himself and being found in human form, I'm summarizing a little bit. Uh, he humbled himself to the point of death. God highly exalted him. And then one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And, and it's this beautiful hymn. But, but again, a lot of times we can use use that as an example of, of how we read the Bible and, and make it about us. Um, and so maybe we go looking through Philippians 2 for, for just theology. And man, there's a lot of theology there. Uh, we see some inter-Trinitarian dynamics and, you know, threefold process of humility. Like there's a lot we could figure out there. Uh, but, but then it just kind of leaves it at, great, now I know more about God. Um, or it's a morality tale. Oh, if Jesus humbled himself and God exalted him. And if I humble myself like Jesus, maybe God will exalt me. And mm-hmm. it, again, I'm overstating here, but these are some common ways to read it. And, and the thing is, is we can, we can read um, Philippians and see Jesus as a great example. Um, but then if all the pressure is on me to be like Jesus or to conjure up the power to, to do like Jesus did or this kind of stuff, um, then essentially we're reading the scriptures in a way that, that Jewish or Muslim cousins could, could read it. And, and for preachers, we can preach the scriptures like that. Um, but if we just hold Jesus up as this example or good teacher, but then it's on me by my power to figure out how to do everything, um, then we're missing the point of the Christian gospel, which is that Jesus was a good teacher. Yes, he was the perfect example. Yes. But also, he's the only one who perfectly fulfills all the commandments and all the rules and, and, and keeps everything that God gives us. And then he died and rose again so that by the power of his spirit, we also can, can have access to that kind of life. And so there's, there's a lot of talk, Ed, and you've already referenced this, about seeing Jesus as the hero. Mm-hmm. But the problem with heroes is, is that they're just that. They're 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 in a, a perfect example or something to attain to. Uh, I have an eight-year-old son. We're doing kind of a guy's week this week. My my wife and daughters are in New York City with their grandmother and this kind of stuff. Um, and so we're watching the the first of the Marvel movies. Uh, my son's eight, so he, he's in that age. I, I, to, I, I, I approve this message. I approve this. Go ahead. Great. I like there this. you go. If you take nothing else out of today's <laughs> interview, watch some Marvel movies. <laughs> um, but, of course, you know, now he wants to be Iron Man, and tomorrow he'll want to be Captain America and this kind of stuff. Um, but they're so other, and in that sense, they are imperfect examples of Jesus because Jesus was also other. They do a lot of saving of the world, and so in that in that sense, they're also imperfect examples. But the, where, where the superhero image falls short is that Jesus then, by his Spirit, empowers us to live the life that we couldn't live by our own, uh, by our own power, by our own knowledge, by our own emotions. Um, and so for all the really good talk of Jesus being the hero of every verse and every command of Scripture, we also have to recognize he's also the fulfillment of it, and he's also the power that enables us to, to live by it. 
And so again, the, the unchristian way, the, the the way that our even our Jewish and Muslim friends could could affirm of reading the Bible is, hey, Jesus was a good guy. Go be like Jesus. Um, many Muslims, many Jews believe that Jesus was a good teacher, a good example to follow. But where they fall short, and where a lot of our teaching falls short, is is we miss the fact that where we fail and where we do miss the mark and where we do sin, where we are broken, this kind of stuff, Jesus meets us in that need and, and transfers his life and his death and his resurrection power to us. So he's not only our hero, he's also the redeemer and fulfillment and power for Christian living. Oh, so good, so good. So the Bible is not about us, uh, but the Bible certainly impacts us, re- relates to us. And so I want to talk some about what that looks like, but I also want to invite our, our callers into the conversation as well. Our, our phone number here, if you want to give us a call and join in the conversation, is 877-548-3675. Again, that's 877 877- Five four eight three six seven five. Uh, ben Connolly is our guest. We're talking about reading the Bible, missing the gospel. His new book from our friends at um, Moody Radio as well. So, I mean, so the Bible's not about me, but it certainly is important to me. Um, so, how does that become good news? If it's not about if it's not about me, I want it to be good news. How is it good news if it's sure. not about me? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so, so going back to Philippians 2, for example, if we, if we look at Philippians 2 as primarily part of God telling God's story and, and exalting Jesus, which is what that Christ hymn is about, um, then it's good news because it points us back to a better Savior, better power, better hero, better Redeemer than we could possibly be. Um, and so what we see some in Philippians 2 is that, you know, Jesus' life is our example of humility, and he alone perfectly obeyed God. And in his death, we, we get to celebrate the fact that he paid the price for our sin and imperfection. He, he did lower himself to the point of death on a cross. And that's good news because that death on the cross includes even my own pride and my inability to be humble, which is kind of the charge in Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves like Jesus, be humble is what, what Paul's encouraging there out of Jesus' example. But the problem is we've all tried to be humble, and turns out we're not very good at it on our own. Um, and so the good news is, is Jesus' death and sacrifice and his humility even covers the, the price of our own pride. Um, his resurrection ushers in a, a new life and gives us the power to rest in the spirit for things like self-reliance and performing and pretending and this kind of stuff and moves us away from that. And then his, his reign as king promises one day there'll be a time when all brokenness, including pride and including our inability to be humble, will be gone. And so there's a, a, a past reality that we, we rest in and say, man, Jesus, his, his death conquered all sin and, and redeems, at least ushers in the beginning of the redemption of brokenness and this kind of stuff. And yet a lot of us live under this guilt and shame of, I'm trying so hard, again, out of Philippians 2, as an example, trying so hard to be humble, but I just can't conjure it up. I'm trying so hard to live under all these rules that, that I see in the Bible. I'm trying so hard to live up to the example of Jesus. But, but a lot of folks just feel so much guilt and shame of not being able to live up to those things. Because, again, we put it all on our shoulders, whereas the Christian way to read the Bible, the Christian way to interpret that kind of thing is to say, hey, we're freed from some of that. In, in our weakness, we find God's strength. And in our, in our inability, we turn to God 
to be able. And so we desperately need him to be our savior. Yes, one time back, you know, assuming again, many folks listening are followers of Jesus. There's a one time accepting of that and needing his power, needing his salvation. But we need his strength. We need his, if I can say this, salvation in quote unquote smaller ways every single day. We need him to be God and to continue to do what we can't do on our own. And that's so much of what the message of the Bible is, is what does it look like for the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus to change every single facet of my current life, not just my past and, and maybe my future eternity. Yeah, okay, good. So we got about a, a minute left, but I'd like to try to see if we can get Paul to quickly weigh in with his question before the break, and then we might answer it after. Paul, you're live on the air with your question and your comment. Less than a minute, but go ahead. Okay, as far as uh, your comments, I understand scripturally that we need to have the Holy Spirit understanding or interpretation of wherever we're looking at, and then we would uh, be guided by that and have the uh, interpretation correctly of whatever we're studying throughout Scripture. And so uh, Jesus saying that he speaks by parables, illustrations, created illustrations, but you need the uncreated Holy Spirit understanding so we can come to that unity of the Holy Spirit and live our life according to that. Good, good word. Okay, Paul, let's let's jump in. Paul, if you hold on the line, though, uh, I want my producer is going to come on. We're going to give you a copy of Ben's book, and uh, which is called Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel. Ben, when you come back, I want you to remember and jump right in to, uh, to Paul's question. I think it's a good question, the place of the Holy Spirit in our engaging of the full story of the Scripture. Again, we're also taking your calls. Remember, 877-548-3675. Hey, we're back. We're having a conversation really about reading the Bible well. The, the title of the book, it's Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel. And we just had a, a question or comment a minute ago uh, related to how that, how that how we might think about that related to the Holy Spirit. Really, the question kind of come back to, how do we, how do we understand the Scripture uh, without the Holy Spirit, or how do we need the Holy Spirit as we engage those Scriptures? So just unpack that for us a little bit, Ben. Yeah, and I appreciate Paul's question, and I hope you're still listening, Paul. My, where my mind goes is uh, Romans one seventeen, right, says that, that the righteous will live by faith. And the reality is, is that we all live by faith in something, right? Um, we live by faith in ourselves, we live by faith in our abilities or somebody else's approval of us or this kind of stuff. We all live by faith in something, and I, I think the, the consistent invitation of the Christian life is live by faith in me. And of course, that's what the Apostle Paul um, uh, implies in, in Romans one seventeen. And so, to our questioner, our asker, Paul, on, on the show today, I think I would say that that's that's a lot of what the invitation of the Scripture is: is that when we find commands that we try and live up to on our own power, this kind of stuff, part of that is God's grace of letting us come to the end of ourselves to realize I can't do this. And how many times, both you know in someone's initial turning to Jesus for repentance and faith, but also in kind of, again, quote-unquote, smaller ways throughout our everyday Christian walk, how many times do we come to the end of ourselves and realize, oh, even in this relationship with my spouse or my boss or my child or my parent or whatever else, I need, I need the power of Jesus. I need to have faith in Jesus more than 
my, my faith in myself and more than my faith in what they think of me or this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I don't know if that fully covers, but the the, the righteous will live by faith is, is a verse that comes to mind. And, and the invitation from God and thus the invitation of most of the Bible is, where's what are we going to have faith in? Are we going to have faith in ourselves? Are we going to have faith in, in, in the one who's worthy of our faith? Okay, good word, good word. Thanks, Paul, for your call. As I said, I think we'll, we'll, our producer will jump on and get you a copy of the book as well. Um, okay, so kind of come back to this because it's, it's, there, there's a sense that the Bible's not about me. It's about what God's redemptive plan for the world. It's about ultimately pointing to Jesus' work on dying on the cross for our sin in our place, God raising him from the dead, his eternal plan, and more. But it's still good news to me. So what? Was it about Jesus that made the gospel sound like good news to you? Yeah, that's a great, I love that question. And for me, so I was raised in, in, in Texas. We mentioned that I live in Fort Worth. <clears throat> you should all come here. Um, and uh, I, was, I am, I November 9th for your meeting. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> <laughs> we continue to plug this. Uh, unrequested exactly. plugs happening. Exactly. I live on mission with us in Fort Worth. It's a good exactly. city, except it's hot in August. Um. But yeah, the reality is, is I was raised in a a religious non-Christian household. And if you've ever lived in the South, that that resonates with you very likely. So there's a lot of us who were raised going to church, knowing the Bible. Um, I think, and I I don't say this with any pride, uh, and I'm learning to overcome the shame of it. I think I was a a church staff member for two years before I actually knew Jesus. Um, But I knew enough about him. Uh, to be able to teach kids about him and this kind of stuff. And by God's grace, got to see people come to know Jesus uh, be- before I think I did. Um, and, and what hit me one day, and I was walking across my, my university campus in Waco, Texas, um, was that if, if Jesus is real, he should matter to all of life. Um, and, and again, that seems like the most obvious statement today, but, but for 20-year-old me, the fact that if Jesus is real, he should matter to all of life was like getting hit by a train. It was this revolutionary, like mind-blowing reality. And tied to that, for me, was this idea of satisfaction. Um, I, was, I was looking everywhere, and specifically in, in leadership roles, which is just a, a veiled way of saying controlling people, uh, and then relationships with, with girls my age. Um, and again, I use relationships kind of uh, loosely there. Uh, I, was, I was looking for satisfaction in things that would consistently let me down. And the reality of through Jesus's life, death, resurrection, and reign, God promises a satisfaction that will never end. It sounded like actually good news to me. Hmm. And, and I'd be curious, you know, Ed, I don't know if I'm allowed to kind of turn the question, uh, but what made the gospel sound like good news to you? When you first heard it. Yeah, first of all, this is my show, so I ask the questions. But, um, but no, I'm kidding. You can ask any question you want. Um, I've never had that before. It's fascinating. I like that. Um, I, I think for, for me, you know, I grew up in a nominally Catholic home. We didn't really go to church on anything other than Christmas and Easter. And uh, heard the gospel. My, I got in trouble. My mom grounded me to go to a youth camp, which is a, sounds like a terrible thing if you're a youth pastor. But there... Uh, the, the specific description that I remember, I don't remember all the details, was the my life was in a bit of a, a mess, and the I guess the youth pastor, band leader, whatever, said that um, that if you want to be, if you want to follow Jesus, if he, he'll, you'll give your life to him, he'll give your life to you. And it was this idea that later I would understand theologically is the great exchange. So, mm-hmm. um, so it became good news. I guess for me, the the part 
that, you know, of course, we're talking about something related to reading the Bible. So I, I think probably the first few years I read the Bible, I was looking for it. And I'm not, you know, I, I, I think this is where I was. It was fine. I was looking for kind of tips to live better as a Christian. And um, yeah. probably because that's all I knew to look for. And then later, I began to understand the Bible to point me to understand who God is. And mm-hmm. really, the beauty of the good news to me became, you know, I, I was a follower of Jesus, born again, follower of Jesus, walking with the Lord. But it became even greater news when I understood the good news of the gospel as expressed in the character of God and explained in the pages of Scripture. And that, that was the distinction for me. So now, when I read the Bible, you know, I don't bring it with the lens of, you know, about me. But when I read it, and the more I know about God, the more it does teach me about me. Does that does that make sense, or does that have a similar experience for you? Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's even thank you for for honoring me by answering a question on your own show. Um, but that's been part of why I wanted to, to ask is because that's when we say that the the Bible is still good news, the gospel is still good news, the Bible still means something for us today. It's exactly that. It's it's realizing that if we really understand that the Bible points us toward Jesus then when we see a lot of different life situations, because the Bible talks about a lot of life situations, there's marriage and forgiveness and, you know, submission to government even. It's not a popular topic today. And judgment and, uh, you know, what is the nature of the church even? And the Bible talks about a lot of different things. And when we go for it looking for different tips, like you said, Ed, um, then it's left to, to us to kind of figure it out. And Jesus is just kind of there on one shelf. And we kind of pull them down when we need them and put them away when we don't. But when we realize the truth that the gospel truly applies to every facet of those lives, uh, of, of our lives, then then his life and death and resurrection and reign have something to say for our hard relationships and for our inability to forgive and to our ability or an inability to submit to governing authorities and to what it means to be blessed and judging others in church and this kind of stuff. And so... Again, the, the pendulum swing of this book is when we see the truth of the Bible, it should actually move us more toward reading the scriptures. Um, should not swing the pendulum at all to the other end and say, "Well, if the gospel is good news, we don't need to read the Bible." That that'd be missing the point of the whole of the whole thing anyway. Yeah, you know that's good. Okay, so we're gonna we we're gonna in just a moment we're gonna take a quick pause, uh, but I want to try to get in uh, one question before we do. But I, so I'm gonna go to Carrie in Redland, California. But Carrie, I need you to I need you to be brief, and so we have time uh, to get to the answer. So Carrie, go ahead with your question or your comment. Okay, yeah, I had to rearrange it like two or three times. No, I was just commenting because I'm a mom and a grandma. And so one of the things, and I also witness I'm out there on the ground. I've been doing that for a long time. But I think with the truth of the Word of God, like you had made a comment about if it's new, it's not true. And I was raised in the Calvary chapels with that same idea. I'm always really careful. I just had a discussion with a friend about, you know, bringing in new books versus reading the Bible. I think the Word of God is the most powerful thing you can read. I think whatever people are going through, the lens that they see things through is because their circumstance um, their culture and you know different factors, but I think when you you know when you're when you're first a new believer and you're questioning all these things, um, it's just going to happen, and that's the journey we take as Christians, and we're just going to have to um, you know we're going to have to uh, take our salt with us on that journey, <laughs> you know, 
Um, no, because, I think that's good. Uh, that's a good word. Yeah, that's yeah. a good word. So there's a process of growing. And by the way, uh, I just spoke at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa this this Wednesday night. So I love that you're connected to Calvary Chapel stuff. So so Carrie's got some. Uh, how, how do we take those steps? How do we grow in those things? And I want to talk some about that process that Carrie mentioned as well. But Carrie, I want you to stay on the line, uh, and because we're going to give you a copy of Ben's brand new book here from Moody Publishing. It's called Re- Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel. We got one more segment. Your calls eight seven seven five four eight. 3675-877-548-3675. Hey, we're back. Continue our conversation. Really, we've been focusing on the Bible. The title of the book is Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel. Giving away a few copies to brilliant and insightful callers. As all of our callers here at Ed Stetzer Live are brilliant and insightful. Ben Connolly's our guest. Ben, uh, we're talking about what people um, miss in the Bible. I want you to be pastoral for just a second. Because for a lot of our readers, uh, just for a lot of Christians, they're not really reading and engaging the Bible. Uh, if you have a vision for rightly reading the Bible, which is, you know, a big part of what your book is about, is having a vision for rightly reading the Bible. Uh, But someone hasn't started by rightly reading the Bible. What will you engage? What will you see? What's the value in your life? Yeah, I think that definitely uh, the the value is we get to not just know more about the, the God that we say we're maybe brand new to or have ignored for a long time or even questioning or doubting. We don't just know more about God. What we, what we find in the scriptures is, again, this is what we hold to, this is what Orthodox Christianity has held to for centuries. These, these are the words of God. Um, this is God telling us about himself and inviting us <clears throat> not to just a knowledge about him, but into a relationship with him. And the more we do read, and, and again, especially if we read not going, okay, what can I get out of this? What, is, what does this say about me and, and what I can know and what I can feel today? But but if we see this as, as kind of a conversation, as kind of an engagement with the, the author, if you will, um, then we get to know the heart of God and we get to know who he is and what he's been doing throughout the world um, and throughout history. And, and it comes, comes to, to this deep appreciation and love for, for a bigger vision of God. Um, mm. And so even to get real practical, to, to get real pastoral, and I have this conversation several times in, in the church that I help lead. Um, if someone's going like, hey, my, I, I feel dry when I read the Bible, or I don't know it, or Leviticus is confusing, or this kind of stuff, because it is. Um, we can admit that. Um, a couple of questions to, to ask every time we go to the Scriptures, and this would be true of a single verse, and this would be true of every paragraph or book or the, the end-to-end reading of the Bible, is, is every time we go to ask the question, okay, in this verse, in this passage, in this story, who is God and what is God doing? And that gives us a little picture of, of where this fits in kind of this unfolding story of God. Um, if we start by going, okay, who is he? Who, what's the main character up to, um, if I can use that language? And then after that, then again, any story, any verse, any, any book, we go, okay, then who are we? Um, what, are, what are humans and, and who are we? Uh, excuse me, who, who are humans and what are, what are the humans doing in this? And sometimes they're following God really well, trying to, to pursue his example. Sometimes they're, they're living out his heart and leading his people well. Um, and a lot of times they're not, frankly. There's a lot of humans in the Bible that you're like, I don't know if I should follow that guy's example or that woman's example. Um, and, and then at the end, though, the third 
kind of question. If it's who's God, what's he doing? Who are humans? What are they doing? The third question is to go, okay, how does this verse, how does this story, how does this passage point me to see Jesus as the hero and the redeemer? Which is to say, how does this either foreshadow, excuse me, foreshadow or allude to Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and reign? How do the human characters even fall short of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection? And what does Jesus do? How does he become the true and better, if you will, version of that? Um, but honestly, those few questions would be the starting point. Um, there's a lot of really good Bible study tools out there. I don't want to downplay them. But really, really simple three questions to ask with every verse, passage, story, psalm, whatever it is, is who is God? What's he doing? Who are humans? What are they doing? And how does this point to Jesus as the hero and the redeemer? So that, that would be my encouragement as a starting point in a very practical sense. That's good. And just for those who listen, that, that's really contained and unpacked in the book, Reading the Bible, uh, Missing the Gospel. Okay, let's go to uh, Bob in Chicago listening on WMBI. Bob, you're live on, your, on the air with your question or your comment. Yes, uh, good morning. Uh, my my question, I'm 85, okay? I'm still reading the Bible okay. and still needing to uh, have answers. Uh, I, um, we know uh, from Scripture that uh, Jesus is considered uh, uh, fully God and fully man, okay? And yet we find, and, and I'm going to give three quick examples, after, Ooh, Bob, uh, I don't know that we Jesus, have time for three quick examples, well, Bob. But okay, if you could just okay, kind of get to your okay, question, yeah, I think it will be okay. That's fine. There are examples that, that show that Jesus had to consult with God the Father in order to achieve what was going to be happening. Okay. Mm-hmm. One was okay. When he, after he was baptized. The other was when uh, he uh, had to call upon God the Father to uh, send a helper. And uh, the third was when he went to God the Father to ask him to be relieved of the death on the cross. If he was fully God, okay. why did he have to consult God the Father? Okay, thank you, Bob, for your call. It's a little, little different outside of the 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 topic that we're talking about here. But so let's talk about the nature of God and uh, how God is at work in the world. And when He does pray and consult with the Father, uh, Ben, talk to us a little bit about that. Talk to us a little bit about uh, Jesus as God the Son. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and, and Bob, I, I I appreciate your question. I appreciate your thoughts on that. Um, if I could reframe it a little bit, um, you know, did he have to rely, uh, consult with God the Father? Because I think that's language used. He had to go and do that. Um, and I think that, that part of the picture that we see here um, is just we get a glimpse into the fully, you know, co-reliant. I don't know if that's a word. <laughs> Most humans don't understand that word. It is now. It word. is now. Yeah. It is now. We're going to use it. Bookmark it. Um, yeah, the fully kind of inter-Trinitarian dynamics is that they were always together. And, you know, a lot of historians, a lot of theologians think that there were things that Jesus said or did out loud sometimes. Um, like even his high priestly prayer, um, you know, he's, he's saying out loud, Father, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to send them into the world and this kind of stuff. Um, you know, he could have very easily have just kind of in his heart, mind, and soul been abiding with the Father, but he chose to say them out loud and, and so that we would have the example, and so we would know a little bit of, of what the relationship is like between God the Father and God the Son, and, and of course God the Spirit is in there as well. And, and so I wonder, and again, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy on earth by any means. Ed is far smarter than I am, so he can rebuke me if I say this wrongly. Um, but uh, I wonder if, if what we're seeing there is a little bit of that. It's, it's Jesus doing something 
um, that he's always doing internally. He's always abiding with the Father, and they are one and this kind of stuff. But I wonder if he's kind of displaying a little bit more publicly what that relationship looks like, because the beauty is is that in in the resurrection life is the same power that raised spirit uh, that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and working in us. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead then there's a degree to which, not fully, but there's a degree to which we can also abide with God the Father through the, through the death and resurrection of God the Son, by the power of God the Spirit, of course. But, but there's a degree to which we can also walk in that kind of a, a union and relationship. And so I wonder, again, just to wonder, if, if that's part of what Jesus is modeling there, not that he had to go consult, but just that he always was in that relationship, but displaying for us mere humans, what that relationship and dependence and reliance could look like. And uh, Bob, why don't you hold on the line? Our producer is going to come on the line and give you a copy of Ben's uh, Ben's book. It's called Reading the Bible, Missing the Gospel. It's Ben Connolly, by the way. I should say that because sometimes people join the show later and they don't know. But uh, Ben, we have a little over a minute left. And so I want you to kind of talk about what, kind of bring that kind of final thoughts to our audience, who uh, many of whom are engaged in the Bible, some of whom are not. Uh, what would yeah. be your hope for them if they read the book, or you know, I want to encourage them to get the book, but let's say if they if they read the Bible the way you're encouraging them, reading the Bible, not missing the gospel, reading the Bible rightly, what would be your hope for them? And just take about a minute and a half to explain that. You'll hear some music, but just keep talking and telling us about it. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Um, I love that we're going to end with this question, um, because you know you started, Ed, by saying that some people say that, oh, if we miss the gospel and read the Bible, or other things like that, that we should just throw out the reading of the Bible. And my deep hope would be just the opposite of that, um, that if we see the Bible through the lens that, that I think God intended for it to be read, his story, then knowing where we are, and then seeing Jesus as the hero and redeemer, that it would instead of making us want to throw out the Bible and move away from the Bible, it would instead cause a greater desire in us for the Bible. Because we want to, to, again, not know more about God more, but we'd want to know God more deeply and walk with Him more deeply in the Bible as a primary venue for that. And then second, that we would see Jesus, the true hero, the true redeemer, as the ultimate pinnacle of the story, and that we would rest more and more in Him and love Him more and more and follow Him more and more in this kind of stuff by the power of the Spirit, because we realize how much more true the thing that we say it is all the time when we say the gospel changes everything. Love it. Hey, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, ben Connolly has been our guest reading the Bibles. And Miriam about missing the Gospels has been the book as well. Hey, thanks for our great team here. Gabby and Lynn working the phones today. Courtney Young, engineer, producer, Karen Young. Remember, Karen Hendren, excuse me, remember Moody Radio is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.